Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Monday Madness. It is me, myself, Tavis Killian, as always. And today is November the 30th, so hopefully you all had a good Thanksgiving. I, I was fortunate enough to go back to Iowa, get to see my mom, my sister, and uh, probably going to be a large spike in cases from all the travel with that coronavirus going on, but even so, it was still nice to see family, don't feel sick, I'll get tested, and eh, there we go. I think risk was mitigated, so... I had a good time. I had a good time. I was real glad I was able to go home. And also, hatchet throwing is pretty cool. Had the opportunity to do that over Thanksgiving. You know, some real standard Midwestern stuff. And if you get the chance, go for it. There there wasn't wasn't much that was that satisfying as getting that solid thunk and getting a hatchet to stick to the wall. So give it a shot. But hey, you're not here for me to give you tips on entertainment or how to fill your day or even what I did for Thanksgiving. You're here for that oil and gas news. I know ya. So we'll jump into those metrics that we go over every week first, and then keep it simple, go into those news stories. So to kick things off, WTI pricing, been pretty good lately. I mean, as as of writing this, it was $45 flat, and uh, this time last week we saw it creep up to about that range. So it's been bouncing up and down about $0.40 cents on either side of that $45 mark, but things have been steady for a week at least. And like I did mention on the last episode, this will be nice for some gas basins, specifically at the $45 mark, because that makes some frack jobs economic. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a small increase in production during these next few weeks, but either way, it's going to take quite a while for that data to be collected, reported to agencies, and then reflected through us to you, so we will just have to wait and see. As for the rig count, We've got another spike, and we're up 10 at the end of last week. Pretty good, still down 482 on the year, but most basins are holding steady. The big winners of last week were the Marcellus, Permian, and Eagleford basins, who were up a few rigs each, and this is probably because natural gas prices have been on the rise in the past couple of months. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these basins or areas are looking to capitalize on these cool months coming up, these winter months, to serve the heating needs for the United States and probably to serve international LNG demand, if I had to guess. So that's probably why those rigs are going up. Again, that's just my musing. We'll see what happens moving forward. Next up, we've got those inventories. And the EIA's report showed that the week ending on the 25th reflected a three-quarter of a million barrel draw. Not too bad, huh? Well, there is a little bit of a discrepancy here. The API released their report for the week ending on the 24th, which was just one day before the EIA report, and stated that there was a 3.8 million barrel build. Either everyone traveled home by plane with 10 layover flights between the 24th and the 25th, creating a massive demand for jet fuel, or the data is simply conflicting. I mean, looking at the graphs for both of these reports over the past year, I mean, it reflects a pretty tight grouping in their analysis, so I'm not exactly sure why this one is different by about just a little bit over 4.5 million barrels, but... I suppose we'll just have to see what happens to the reports next time we meet up. Who knows? Maybe they'll balance out. So that's a wrap on our statistics. So I think it's high time we jump into a little bit of the latest news. But I will not be touching on the OPEC Plus meetings today. Those should be going on today the 30th and tomorrow the 1st. And they are mostly centered around reevaluating the production cuts. But Kevin's already covered this pretty extensively in his periodical that he released last Wednesday. Although the periodical podcast won't be released until tomorrow the 1st, I highly encourage you to go to the periodical section on rarepetro.com to read Kevin's research, analysis, and prediction of the outcomes, as some have already been proving themselves to be correct. So that's kind of why I won't be getting into it so much. Kevin's already done a great job. Again, rarepetro.com, 
should be in the news poll section under periodicals you won't regret it. Now, we all know that the current U.S. executive administration is a big fan of blocking trade and preventing the economic growth of those that we see as a threat. For example, look at the Iran sanctions on oil. Since production is affiliated with the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, a branch of Iranian forces, the U.S. said nope and slapped a sanction on them. Venezuela is not someone that the U.S. conducts as much business with for the reason of high levels of state corruption. If you look at the current sanctions that the U.S. imposes on other countries and other trade blockages, a majority of it boils down to either threatening democracies, whether that's within the U.S. or elsewhere, like the case of Venezuela, or threatens to dethrone the U.S. from its champion title of world's best equipped military superpower. Now that brings us to China. The U.S. and China have had some small spats recently, really centered around what China believes are unnecessary sanctions and the U.S.'s disagreement with how the country conducts business and treats its citizens. The most recent development revolves around the CNOOC, or the China National Offshore Oil Corporation. Even though we are only two months out from an administration shift here in the United States, the Department of Defense will be lengthening its list of companies controlled by the military. Getting added to that watch list can't be that bad, right? Well, actually, Trump created an executive order a while back saying that countries on this list will not be allowed to sell its stock to U.S. investors. As soon as the CNOOC was added to the list, their stock took a 10% dive, which was the largest dive since March. Again, the U.S. doesn't like it if another military has an opportunity to step up and challenge them, so cutting off U.S. investors from supporting a military-controlled oil company like the CNOOC effectively cuts some of the funding for that company and therefore the military. This is a significant step in the trade wars between the U.S. and China as the CNOOC is China's biggest offshore exploration company and the only one among the state-owned oil companies that is purely focused on exploration and production. It used to be an attractive option for U.S. investors because it did have a monopoly on offshore exploration through a handful of production-sharing contracts and has incredibly low lifting costs associated with production. Starting 2021, U.S. investors will not be allowed to support the Chinese military-supporting oil company, but already experts are claiming that this will only mildly affect the organization as it removes only a handful of investors supporting the company. Even so, a strong message has been delivered by the U.S., and I personally do not see this being the last of the headbutting between the U.S. and China. Next up, we've got some unrest abroad. Saudi Arabia spent their Black Friday bombing camps of Houthi rebels in Yemen after they attacked a Saudi Aramco distribution center earlier last week. The Houthi are in an Iranian-allied movement who occupy much of the territory in the Yemen area. Now, missiles fly back and forth as the Saudis target the Houthi rebels, and the rebels target any oil facility bringing money to the Saudis. Although there was no immediate confirmation of the number of casualties, a Houthi official said that the attacks will not scare them, and will only make the group stronger. Saudi Arabia defended its actions by claiming it condemns the terrorists as it disrupts the security and stability of energy supplies to the world and threatens the global economy. Almost sounds righteous, huh? If we head up from Saudi Arabia to Iraq, we've got another attack on an Iraqi oil refinery. The Islamic State militants have claimed responsibility for the attack, which caused a fire and halted operations at the facility that can typically process about 300,000 barrels per day. This is the second terrorist attack from IS this month, and comes at a time that is rather convenient for Iraq. Although these attacks are undesired, it has allowed them to operate outside of the proposed production cuts from OPEC+, 
and generate as much revenue from oil sales as they have wanted. Either way, it's not fun to see so many attacks from so many different warring groups in such a short amount of time. I know that we are past Thanksgiving at this point, but I for one am thankful that any attacks on U.S. oil production is usually in the form of policy from local politicians rather than physical destruction from groups that do want to see infrastructure damage and harm. Things may be subpar for the domestic oil industry at the moment, but I tell you things could be a whole hell of a lot worse. Lastly, everyone's a critic. We all have something to say about whatever's going on. Everyone always has something to say, but sometimes we are our own worst critic, so lots of companies have been experiencing that pessimism recently. I don't know if you remember BP's last Energy Outlook report, but when I covered it, it was less than ideal. After two years of energy reports saying that the developing world will increase the demand for fossil fuels drastically, they did a complete 180 in the report this year and predicted some pessimistic demand falls. Now Exxon has joined the pity party, so Exxon cut its production for future oil prices from 11% to 17% for the next seven years. This is likely because Exxon believes that the fallout from this pandemic is likely to stick around for longer than expected. I, for one, can't imagine a seven-year demand slump once we are past this, as other countries start to trade and grow, but I definitely see Exxon's concern. Exxon doesn't typically disclose the way it views commodity pricing and the changes around it, as it does view those as proprietary. Before this pandemic, however, Exxon predicted Brent would be as high as $72 a barrel by 2026. That has now been cut to $50 to $55 a barrel for the next five years. While I know things have been hard, the last time Brent oil has seen a pricing trend hold for five years was a long time ago. Let's just look at the last decade, for example. 2011 showed oil prices from $110 to $120 a barrel, you know, that's a $10 differential in grouping, but that only lasted three and a half years until it dropped. Then we didn't see another steady, well, steady if you'll want to call it that, trend until 2018-2020, where Brent was around $60 to $80 a barrel. So. Again, a larger grouping, but somewhat of a trend nonetheless. So many factors influence oil pricing, and although Exxon has posted three quarterly losses in a row for the first time ever, it won't be this bad forever. Something we have to remember about this downturn, and generally the pandemic, yeah, times are hard, but hard times come and go. We will get through this soup sandwich of a year and downturn eventually, but prices are unlikely to hold at $50 for five years. I know this implies that they can fall even further, but the team here at Rare Petro believes differently, and we hope you can join us in our optimistic and scientific predictions for the future, as this will end eventually, just like this episode has ended. So thank you for joining us. Hopefully you learned something this week. If you did, let us know in the comments what you learned, what you liked about it, or reach out to me directly at podcast at rarepetro.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Again, we do this for you, so let us know what you want to hear. We'll research it for you whether that's a, a private setup or just someone on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts looking for us to review something. So thank you for joining me. Subscribe to all of the content that we have, and hey, let's grow together. This, this has to end eventually. Let's be stronger once we come out of it. So until we see you next time, take care, everybody.